Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Let's open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read some verses in Hebrews chapter 10 that will underscore everything that we want to talk about from the Word of God for these next few minutes. And that is what this part of our worship is all about. It is about God's Word, about the consideration, the study, and the application of the things that we find in the Word of God. As you're turning to Hebrews chapter 10, I will just briefly echo the welcome that was extended earlier. It is great to see everyone on this first Lord's Day of 2018. We've got a good number in attendance, considering all the folks that we've got that are that are sick and dealing with illnesses and so forth. And we're just glad to be able to be here together to worship God in spirit and in truth. Just a quick programming note. This evening, we will be doing something just a little bit different during the preaching And that is going to require you to be participatory. And the way that you can be participatory is by coming prepared, by bringing something to write with. Bring a pen, bring a pencil, bring a marker, bring a crayon, bring whatever it is that you normally write with, because you are going to need it. And I am actually very excited about what we will do this evening during the preaching hour. And so be back tonight at 6 o'clock and bring something to write with. Right now, though, I need to direct our attention to Hebrews the 10th chapter. And I do need to press all of us very hard this morning to think deeply and to think honestly and to think personally about the things that we're about to talk about starting here in Hebrews chapter 10. Read with me beginning in verse 23. In Hebrews 10 and in verse 23, the Hebrew writer says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We've got some avid sports fans in attendance, don't we? Got some folks who are very devoted to their favorite teams. I know we've got lots of Kentucky Wildcat fans in attendance. Even got some Tennessee volunteer fans in attendance. Got some Cincinnati Reds. Even got some Alabama fans in attendance. I know where they're going to be watching tomorrow night. Let me introduce you this evening or this morning to someone who really loves his team. This is Bob Kohler. And he is a fan of the Major League Baseball team, the Milwaukee Brewers. In fact, to say that Bob is a fan of the Brewers is probably an understatement. That picture was taken just this past season to honor Bob's continuing streak of attending every Milwaukee Brewers home game since August the 30th, 1981. Bob has been to 2,908 consecutive home games. Bob never misses a Milwaukee Brewers game. Even more than that, when the Brewers are playing away, when they're in an away game, Bob lots of times will go to those games, and if he doesn't go to those games, he always watches them on television or listens to them on the radio. Bob never misses a Brewers game. Bob is a devoted fan. Now the truth is, we probably could find somebody like Bob for nearly every sports team in America, professional or collegiate or even high school, because there's lots of devotion when it comes to sports. But you know what? Sometimes it is hard to find that same kind of devotion in here. It is hard to find that level of devotion for the church. 
In fact, in 2016, the Pew Research Center conducted a survey in which they asked people who identified themselves as Christians, and that term is probably used rather loosely in the survey that they did, but they asked people who called themselves Christians, what are the essentials of Christianity? What are the things that are just absolutely necessary in order to be a Christian? At the top of that list, 86% of professing Christians said that believing in God, that is essential to being a Christian. Which kind of makes me wonder, what about the other 14%? Come on, you'd like to think you could get 100% on believing in God. At the next part of that list, 71% said that being grateful, that's essential to being a Christian. 69% said that being forgiving to the people who do you wrong, you got to be able to do that in order to be a Christian. 67% said that being honest, that's a really important part of being a Christian. 63% said that prayer and praying regularly, got to be a person of prayer if you're going to be a Christian. But would you notice right down here at the bottom of this list, only 35% of professing Christians said that attending church services was an essential part of Christian living. Only 35%. In fact, what you see there, I believe, just reflects the truth that in America today, people are not interested in attending really any kind of meeting. People do not want to commit to anything that's going to create an extra burden and bind on their free time. Increasingly in America, what's happening is people are turning... Inward. People are living very individual lives. Indeed, what you see listed there at the top of that list, those are things, those things that it takes to be a Christian, those are things that are extremely individualized, aren't they? Hey, those are things I can do on my own. Believe in God, pray, be grateful, be honest. I can do that on my own. I don't need to come and gather and be with a big group in order to do those things. Whereas only 35% said that it is essential to be involved in and to be a part of a local group of believers. One fellow looked at all of those findings and he said the following. He said, it is clear that American Christianity has been hijacked by the individual at the expense of the whole. You know, I would submit to you this morning that that kind of attitude, that is completely contradictory to the pattern that we find in the pages of the New Testament. That contradicts what we just read right here in Hebrews chapter 10, isn't it? That just assumes the idea that Christians are going to be involved in the church. That there is such a thing as church participation. In the New Testament, the church is valued. In the New Testament, the church is essential. In the New Testament, the church is seen as God's primary means by which He carries out His plan to evangelize the world. In fact, all throughout the New Testament, there is no question in my mind that God intends for every Christian to be a deeply involved, deeply committed, deeply devoted member of a local body of believers. And that is why this morning, I want for us here to begin the new year with each and every one of us examining our own level of devotion to the local church. This morning I want to frame for you three essentials of devotion 
to the local body of Christ. Now, realize this morning that we've got some visitors in attendance, and we're really glad that you're here. Thank you for being here today. And this morning, you need to understand if you're visiting with us, you're going to need to take these ideas, and you're going to need to plug them in and apply them at the local congregation with which you regularly labor and worship with. Because this morning, I am talking primarily to the Lakeside family. And we are talking primarily about Lakeside things. As we talk about what it means to be a member of this local church and being devoted to it. And I know what somebody's probably thinking right now. We read those verses there from Hebrews chapter 10. Somebody's thinking to themselves, oh boy, I know what this is. This is a sermon on church attendance. That's what this is all about. No, it is not. Title of the sermon is not my devotion to church attendance. This is about my devotion entirely to the local church. Now certainly, my attendance at the various assemblies of the local church, that is part of being devoted. It'd be really hard for that Bob Kohler fellow to say that he's a really devoted Milwaukee Brewers fan if he never actually went to any of the games. So even having said that attendance is part of my devotion, I want you to understand this morning that Hebrews 10, 23, 24, and 25, it is not just talking about attendance. You may know people who show up regularly to their jobs and to their work, but they're not really devoted to their work. They, they just show up. They just kind of sit in a cubicle and earn a paycheck. And there are people as well who are married. In fact, people who have been married for a very long time, but they're not devoted to their marriage. They're just kind of on autopilot. They're just coexisting. In the same way, it is possible. For a Christian to show up on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, but still not be doing Hebrews 10, 23, 24, and 25. They are not devoted to the local church. So this morning you need to understand, we're talking about much more than just attendance. We're talking about being devoted to a relationship with other Christians. What does that look like? How does that work? What exactly does that require of me? Well, this morning let me share with you three essentials of devotion to the local church. And that's going to just start right here with the understanding that being devoted to the local church, what that requires is that requires an others-centered focus. An others-centered focus. I wonder sometimes if there is anything that has caused more damage to people's idea and perception of the church relationship than that old line that we have heard for so long and so often, go to the church of your choice. You've heard that before? Been hearing that all of my life, and it's been around much longer than I've existed. Do you remember maybe when newspapers actually would run full-page listings of all of the churches in the area, and then they would caption it there at the top, Attend the church of your choice this Sunday. And of course, I can remember growing up, I can remember hearing sermons about some of the problems with that kind of thinking. That you don't need to attend the church of your choice, you need to attend the church of Jesus' choice. And that is absolutely so. We need to say that and we need to understand that. But can I tell you what I believe is the biggest problem with that kind of thinking? I think the biggest problem with that kind of idea is that it promotes the idea that church... Well, church is all about me. That I should get me the newspaper and I should scan for me a church that does to suit me. 
that maybe I should get on the internet and fire up my Google machine. See if I can find a church that will please me. That meets when I want it to meet. That does all kinds of stuff for my family. That does something for me. And of course churches today have absolutely just catered to that kind of mindset that, hey, whatever the consumer wants, the consumer is going to get. We aim to please you. So you just come right on over here to the super mega fun church where we've got jungle gyms and rock climbing and rock concerts and coffee bars. We've got the whole nine yards. And by and large, American Christians today have looked at that and they've said, that's what I want out of a church. But biblically... Biblically, that kind of mindset, that what's in it for me mindset, that attitude towards church is absolutely bankrupt. Are you still there in Hebrews chapter 10? Why is it that we meet together? Why is it that we go to church? Hebrews 10, look again at verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Church assembling is set squarely within the context of one another. Our obligations and our relationships to other Christians. If you look at Hebrews chapter 10, what you will see is that the Hebrew writer is warning that there are some serious consequences that come from neglecting the church relationship, namely that it hurts Other people. It's not just the damage it does to you, but the damage it does to other Christians. And what the Hebrew writer is saying, indeed what all of the New Testament is saying, is that we come to church to give, not to get. We come to serve, not to be served. We come not to ask, hey, what can I get out of this deal? No, we come and we ask, what can I put into this deal so that I can help my brothers and my sisters in Christ? There is an others-centered focus here. It is about being devoted to others. Your spiritual welfare is my concern. What can I do for you that will help you in your walk with the Lord? That's what this assembling business is all about. And by the way, you understand that this actually reflects the teaching that our Lord and Savior gave, don't you? Look in John 13, please. In John the 13th chapter, Jesus says this to His disciples. In John chapter 13, speaking about this new commandment, in John 13, look with me in verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the first step. This is the beginning of everything. We love the Lord. We love the Lord's people. And that means that I do love you. And that I do care about you. And I hope that in return you love me and you care about me. And that is the reason that we are in this relationship, this spiritual relationship. It's to encourage one another, to help one another. We're trying to help each other to get to heaven. We're trying to help each other to do what's right while we are on this earth as we make our way to that heavenly home. In Romans chapter 12, let me plug this verse in here. In Romans chapter 12, in this great list of just identifying marks of genuine Christianity... Paul says the following in Romans chapter 12 and in verse 10. He says, love one another 
with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I love the New American Standard, how it renders verse 12, because it uses our key word for today. It says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Let's just, right here, let's just go ahead and do a self-check right here with point number one. In my relationship with the Lakeside Church of Christ, do I have an others-centered focus? Is my involvement, is my participation here, is it motivated out of a love for others? If you're wondering what that might look like, practically speaking, then that would mean, secondly, for example, that I would be willing to choose the church over other things, even over good things. I can actually show you that in the Bible. Would you look in Philippians chapter 1, please? In Philippians chapter 1, this is a fairly well-known passage, but I want you to notice that Paul, something that Paul says here about choices, about his choices. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul is writing from prison, and there is the not-so-subtle suggestion that he may be executed very soon. And so he says in Philippians 1 and in verse 21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, then that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. Paul says, I'm staring at a hard decision here. A very hard decision. In fact, what Paul does next is he actually tells the Philippian brethren what his preference is in that decision. Continue on in verse 20, uh, in verse 23. Verse 23, Paul goes on to say, My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. If Paul is executed, then he knows that he will go to be with the Lord, which, quite frankly, that is the best possible outcome, isn't it? Going to be with Jesus? That means no more persecution, means no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering. He will go to be with God, and that is as good as it will ever get. And that's what Paul says that he would want. But then the very next thing that Paul says, beginning in verse 24, Paul says, I'm actually not going to do that. Paul says, actually, I don't think that that's what I need to actually do right now. Verse 24, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And so convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith. Paul says, instead of doing what I want to do, I believe that in God's good providence, I'm going to get the opportunity to stay here and serve you. In a very real way, Paul reasons through this. And he decides that he is willing to give up good things right now. And actually, not just a good thing, a great thing, the best thing, going to be with Jesus, he's willing to give that up right now because he wants to help his brethren. He is willing to sacrifice this other thing for the moment so that he can put the church first in his life. I believe that that is a stunning demonstration of genuine devotion to our brothers and our sisters in Christ. Now, I'd like to think that most if not all of us, we get it 
that we are to choose the Lord and the Lord's things over sin. That's really kind of a no-brainer, isn't it? I've got this sinful choice, and I've got this godly choice. Always need to choose the godly choice. That's kind of a duh kind of thing. I'd like to think that we all get that. That's a given. It's kind of like when you get married. Of course, you don't go start dating other people once you get married. Going and being involved in an adulterous relationship, that's not an option. But in a good marriage, where the partners are devoted to one another... There's a whole lot more to it than just abstaining from an extramarital affair, isn't there? A good marriage requires that we choose our spouse and that we choose our spouse over other things, even over good things. Honey, the the fellas called and they they asked if I want to come over to their place tomorrow night and watch the big game. I told them that sounds really, really fun, but I said I'm going to spend the evening with my wife. We just need some time together. Or ladies, maybe you would say, hey, the girls, they asked if, if I wanted to go out this weekend and we'll go shopping and maybe go get something to eat. I said, maybe another time. That sounds great, but this weekend, me and my husband, we're just going to be together. I'm choosing you over this other good thing. That's devotion. Here's this thing over here. It wouldn't be wrong for me to do it. I'm sure I'd even enjoy doing that. But I have decided that I choose you over this other thing. I prefer you over even this good thing. Paul did that. Paul did that to the nth degree with the brethren at Philippi. Can I ask you this morning, shouldn't we be doing that at least to some extent with the local church that we are a part of? Yet even as I say that, I recognize that that is becoming increasingly challenging for 21st century Christians. There's just so much going on in our world, so much going on in our lives. And it seems that many times as we have all of this busy stuff going on around us, it seems that we have a lot of difficulty with saying, look at all these good things that I could be doing. Look at all these good things that I could be occupying my time and my energies with. But you know what? I choose to say no to that because I choose to say yes to my church family over these other things. It's getting harder and harder for people to say that. Getting harder and harder for people to be able to make that kind of commitment. There's all this other stuff just keeps popping up on our schedules all of the time. And all too often we give those other things preference over the local church family. Somebody maybe says, oh, oh, is, is that the same weekend as our winter meeting? Oh man, sorry, we already made plans to do something that particular weekend. Not gonna be able to be there for that. Oh, Wednesday night Bible study? Ah, little juniors got practice that night. We're not gonna be able to make it for that. Sunday evening worship services. Man, can't be there. Got family coming in from out of town. Got to spend time with the family. There are all kinds of things, good things, that are jockeying for our time and for our attention. But when are we going to look at all of those things and say, I am devoted to my brothers and my sisters in Christ, and I am going to put the church ahead of all of that other stuff. You know, it just seems like sometimes... Anything and everything is just unavoidable, unchangeable, unmissable, except if it's something that the church is doing. When a church event pops up, oh, well, too bad, sorry, can't make it for that. Where is our readiness to sacrifice other things, good things, in order to give the Lord and the Lord's people the first priority in our lives? In Matthew 6, verse 33, a very familiar passage. 
Jesus says to seek first His kingdom. And I understand that the kingdom there, it involves a whole lot more than just the local church relationship. But it is also true that the local church relationship is part of that kingdom, isn't it? So when are we going to say, I am so devoted to the local church that this game, this rehearsal, this family gathering, this practice, this television show, this friend who's only going to be in town for today, they're just going to have to wait because I have an obligation to my blood-bought brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. When is the church going to get the win and something else gets the cut? Let me just say right here, I know that we have several folks that are members here who do lots of traveling, like to go out of town for the weekend and uh, get to go see things and do stuff. And there's not any doubt in my mind that when you're away, you find a local congregation of God's people to worship with and to, to, to meet those obligations to worship God on the first day of the week and all those sorts of things. And I want to say that that's great. And it's great that we're able to be able to, to go places and visit and do other things. In fact, we've got visitors here this morning that that probably kind of describes you. You're in from out of town. You found a local group of people to worship with today and we're really glad that you're here. But can I say here that just constant, repeated patterns of that? That yeah, maybe you were able to find a church to worship with while you were out on the road somewhere. But but it still affected us here, didn't it? You weren't here encouraging us. We were not able to encourage you. We were not able to do that Hebrews 10 thing together, were we? Please do not misunderstand me. I am not saying that it is sinful to take a vacation or to go out of town or to have a scheduling conflict or anything along those lines. But what I am saying is that at some point, if we are devoted to the local church, then the local church has got to win some of those battles. In fact, dare I say, the local church ought to win a lot of those battles. When you are not among us, when you are not working with us, when you are not helping us, when you are not being a part of us, because all of these other things have distracted your attention, have pulled you in these other ways, we know, we know what that means. We know that it means that you are not truly devoted to your brothers and your sisters in Christ. And that hurts. When we allow other stuff, whatever it is, to distract us from what we know we ought to do, that hurts the rest of us. And it hurts a lot. But I want to say this morning that that is one of the measuring sticks of devotion. What am I willing to give up? What am I sacrificing for the sake of my relationship to the local church family? All of that then leads and points right to this third essential quality of devotion this morning. And that is a willingness to be inconvenienced. That we are willing to be made inconvenient, make ourselves be inconvenienced for the benefit of the local church family. You know, I really think this second point that we just discussed, I really think that probably explains why so many people today just in the religious world struggle with church attendance. And that is, it's just a failure to prioritize. And if that is problem number one, then this third point is problem 1A. Because lots of times, devotion to the church is lacking because it's just not convenient. It's just not easy. 
You know, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of energy. And so we don't want to get too involved in something that's going to be sucking that much out of us. Yet it is, once again, Jesus the Christ who challenges us in that regard. Would you find John 13 again? Look in John 13 again. Read a few moments ago in John 13 about that new commandment that the Lord gave. But do you remember the context in which Jesus spoke those words? What was it that led Him to giving that new commandment? Well, it comes from the events that are happening right there at the top of the chapter. Read with me beginning in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He had come from God and was going back to God, Jesus rose from supper, laid aside His outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around His waist. Then He poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around Him. It was an amazing and incredible act of service. And I think in a lot of ways, it was the ultimate dirty work. Ugly, dirty, nasty, filthy feet. And I imagine it would have been a whole lot easier for Jesus to just kind of be lazy like the rest of the disciples. Or maybe just assume somebody else is going to get up and take care of this. Or maybe just look at that job and say, well, I'm just too good for that. I'm above that. But Jesus chooses to illustrate discipleship and service by performing a difficult and dirty job that nobody wanted to do. A hard job, like teaching little kids in Bible class. A tough job like calling some brother or sister whose devotion has been waning and saying, hey, why haven't we seen you at services recently? A dirty job, like signing up to clean this church building. A thankless job, like going out and putting the letters on that sign out next to the road in the freezing cold. Thank you, brother. A time-consuming job, like cooking a dish and cooking some food for somebody who's sick or for somebody who's lost a loved one. There are a million and one dirty feet jobs within the local church. And I believe one of the true marks of devotion to our brothers and sisters in Christ is that we are willing to inconvenience ourselves to do those jobs. In fact, that's what Jesus goes on to say here in John 13. Drop down to verse 14. Jesus then says to them, If I then, your Lord and Teacher... If I have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let me ask you right now. Whose feet... If you get my meaning by that, whose feet did you wash this past week? Who did you get dirty hands for here at Lakeside in the last 
seven days? If the answer to those questions is, well, nobody, then is it possible that we have told ourselves and convinced ourselves that I just can't be inconvenienced by those people down there? You know, when I go uh, preaching meetings, um, out of state especially, I was in a couple of out of state meetings this past year, and when I'm in the foyer and I'm making small talk with folks or if somebody invites me to their home for dinner and we're talking around the dinner table, uh, folks will usually ask, well, where's Somerset? I don't know where Somerset is. Where's Somerset in Kentucky? I'll usually say, as kind of a point of reference, I'll usually say, well, it's about 70, 75 miles south of Lexington. And that then almost always prompts folks to ask, oh, I bet you're a Kentucky Wildcat fan. And I pretty quickly respond, Absolutely. I am a big Kentucky fan. Pretty disappointed with them last night. But I am a big fan of the Kentucky Wildcats. That then usually leads to somebody asking the question, Oh, okay. Well, since you're that close to Lexington, do you go to a lot of the games? Um, well, no, not, not exactly, not really. Uh, you know, uh, ticket prices to get into a Kentucky game, those ticket prices are pretty steep. And of course, there's lots of traffic. I really despise the traffic in downtown Lexington. In order to get in and out of Rupp Arena, it takes almost a, an act of Congress. And so, I, I don't really go to that many games. Mostly, mostly I just watch them on TV. Or I follow them like I did last night. I'll follow the score on my phone. I, I just kind of watch that from the comfort of my home or from wherever I am. Now, I would like to think that I am still a devoted Kentucky fan, even though I don't go to very many of those games. But I am not, if I'm being honest, I am not as devoted as the people who pay their hard-earned money to buy those tickets to be at those games. And I am certainly not as devoted as the people who are willing to fight all of that traffic on West Vine Street to get in and to get out of the game. What I find is that it is much more convenient for me to sit at home in the comfort of my recliner and watch games at my leisure. I am just not willing to be inconvenienced very often for the Kentucky Wildcats. And you know what? More and more in our world today, that kind of seems to be the temperature of the room. We barricade. We cocoon ourselves into our very private and convenient homes where we can watch what we want to watch when we want to watch it. We can do what we want to do when we want to do it. And we cannot do what we don't want to do when we don't want to do it. But somehow, somehow that seems very far removed from the commitment that God calls upon me to make to Him and to the local church family, a devotion to my brothers and sisters in the Lord. If the first point says, I love you and I care for you. And if the second point says, I will put you ahead of even other things, even good things that I would probably rather do. Then what this third point says is it says, I will do what needs to be done. Even if it's difficult, even if it's time consuming, even if it's unpleasant, even if my hands get dirty, I'm willing to be inconvenienced for you. I think that one 
well be, where our devotion to the local church is tested the very most. Am I willing to disrupt my comfortable life in order to serve others? Now, usually at this point in the lesson, I usually go back to the beginning and reference what I started with. And so maybe we might think that Josh is going to tie all this together by talking about Bob Kohler, the Milwaukee Brewers fan that's been to all those consecutive games, and talk about just how devoted that guy is, talk about how much money he's probably spent on tickets throughout the years, talk about all the things he's probably given up and missed. He's probably missed lots of weddings, lots of funerals, lots of different things. Talk about what a devoted fan that Bob is. I've got a better idea. How about we tie it all together by talking about Jesus? How about we talk about the devotion of Jesus the Christ? You want to talk about an other-centered focus? Jesus had an other-centered focus. Jesus loves you. And you want to talk about giving up the good in order to serve? Jesus gave up the goodest of all the goods. He gave up heaven in order to come here and to serve others. And Do I even need to say anything? about Jesus being inconvenienced? I think, I think that the cross was terribly inconvenient. Don't you? Yet Jesus was willing to endure the cross for us. And why? Because Jesus is totally and completely committed and devoted to His people, His church. What you and I must ask ourselves this morning is, am I devoted to Christ's church? As a member of the Lakeside Church of Christ, am I devoted to my brothers and my sisters here in the same way that Jesus is devoted to me? In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song of invitation. And if there is one here this morning who has never devoted their lives to Jesus Christ by obedience to the gospel, doing that in the waters of baptism, then this is going to be your opportunity and your moment to do just that. In obeying the gospel, the Lord will wash away all of your sins, and He will as well. He will then add you to the body of Christ, and you can join yourselves with others serving Him, serving others as we strive to help each other to go to heaven. If you are a disciple, though, and that's probably the most of us this morning, then what this invitation song is going to do is it's going to give us just a couple of minutes to do some very honest introspection, some honest self-examination, to think about my level of devotion to Jesus Christ and to Jesus Christ's church. And if in that examination, if you find that your devotion is found wanting, then we are ready this morning, brother or sister, to assist you in repenting and getting more serious about your commitment and your service to Jesus and to His people. If you need to respond to heaven's invitation, if you need to be devoted to the Lord, would you take advantage of this opportunity? Do it right now while we stand and while we sing.